This is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. with getting a slightly newer car. I hear they're coming with all these new fancy options these days. You know, like dashboards and paint. Just more things to go wrong. You can nag, you can cry, you can whinny, bleat, and moo, but I will never sell the Dodge. Finally selling the Dodge, huh? Yeah, it's like giving up one of your children, but none of the joy. Well, for my money, you still can't beat a European sports car. I mean, Marcy and I are nuts about ours. Rack and pinion steering, four-wheel, independent suspension, and 310 of the sexiest Euro ponies that ever hurdled a Yankee from zero to 60 in under five seconds. (laughs) Oh, man, what a car. Where is it? It's in the shop. Still. Hmm. Jefferson, you've had the car five months. It hasn't been off the rack yet. What's wrong with it? Well, they don't know, but it's something very sophisticated, very expensive, and very, very Euro. (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm on top of the world with that car. You can ask anybody on the bus how happy I am. (laughs) So, uh, how's your ad coming? Done. Here. Used car of indeterminate year. Forced to sell by used wife. (laughs) Also of indeterminate year. $4,000. What? You don't think I can get $4,000? I don't think you could get dollars. Jefferson, let me tell you something. I'm a salesman, consequently I know sales. And when this ad hits the papers, baby, they'll be lined up around the block. Trust me. (laughs) 
Mr. Bundy, I'm Bill Ellis from the Dodge Corporation. We just need to verify a couple of things about your ad. Oh, no, listen, I know what you're going to say, but it wasn't my fault. I clearly told them, seat, comma, then belts. <laughs> oh, uh, that's not important. I didn't think so either. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. Is it true she's gone over 999,000 miles? <laughs> he means the car, you will be. I'll get right to the point, Mr. Bundy. Congratulations. It's not every day that a Dodge reaches a million miles. This is something very special to us. You, Mr. Bundy, are very special to us, and we want to be there on that momentous occasion when your odometer reads all zeros. You mean you want us to be in a commercial? Yes. Oh, fine. A lot of free publicity for you guys, but what's in it for us? A 1994 Dodge Viper. Yo, Maniacs, Hulk Hogan here, the greatest of all times, and I want to let you know you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars and what you're going to do when they run wild on you, brother. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google CanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. And then check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, check out our podcasts, okay? Don't forget to like us on Facebook. And, hey, we still have some t-shirts left, and we still have some decals left. But anyway, hey, Cedric, how you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Can't complain. we got a big show tonight. We certainly do. We certainly do. we got a very, very, very well-known local celebrity coming on this evening. By the way, just so our listeners know, congratulations. You just recently had a new addition to your family. Yeah. Yes, we did. So tell us about your loving, caring, sweet little daughter now. <laughs> Her name is uh, Melody Autumn Harris, and uh, she's uh, was born uh, 7 pounds, 2 ounces, and 20 inches long, and she's uh, she's very nice, very sweet. Well, congratulations again. Really, Autumn, that's a beautiful middle name. Well, thank where'd, you. Where'd you come up with that? Because uh, it's Autumn? It, because she was born on the uh, Autumn Equinox or Fall Equinox, yeah. Super, super, super. So you and your wife are all happy now, right? Absolutely. Good, 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 good. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. I can tell you from experience, 16 years, nothing's better than having a family. Cool. And, and, well, have, and having a child is I'm a wonderful thing. very excited about it. Well, that's good. The best of luck to you. Thank you. Anyway, hey, uh, if you caught the beginning of the show, we played a little clip from... Uh, What's the name of that show? No, oh, what? we have Married with Children. Married with Children. Yeah. I, should, I should do that. But uh, most guys really dig him. Al Bundy, right? Yeah. But anyway, so uh, Al Bundy, it's an episode where Al Bundy has to give up his little Dodge Dart beater. Now, there's a, there's a number of reasons why we played that particular clip. And firstly is in uh, next month on November 2nd at the England Brothers Band Shell in Pinellas Park off 49th Street. We have a great, great venue taking place. We've got Bad Company coming into town. We've got Foghat coming into town. We've got Molly Hatchet, Joan Jett, and 
We got special appearances by Danny the Count Coker and Katie Seagal. Now, Katie Seagal was the wife of Al Bundy on uh, Married with Children. So that's why we played that little clip there. And we did a little thing because they they did a play on his Dodge. Well, our special guest for the evening has a Dodge, had numerous Dodges, and also had a Viper, okay, without giving too many clues. Although there was a huge clue at the beginning of the show. But nonetheless, that's why we played that little clip, and that was kind of pretty cool. But anyway, hey, this concert that's going to take place down at the England Brothers Bandshell in Pinellas Park. Tickets start at $25. That's where they start, and I think they got VIP passes for $250. But it should be a great, 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 great concert. And it will be, what, emceed by our very own Artie Fletcher, right? That's right. right. Well, that's what I've been told, at least. That's what we've been told. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I'm I'm going with that one. You're going with that one. Okay. So let's see. What else we got going on? Oh, hey, this past weekend, we had an amazing event in downtown Clearwater. The Clearwater Superboat National Championship. And I'll tell you what, it was a great turnout. Matter of fact, last week we did a special show with uh, a couple of the drivers. Okay, we had my good friend Bobby Vespa from New York, or New Jersey, actually. And he was there with his brand new boat. It's actually a 42-foot MCI, I think it is. And it's all done up in war paint graphics or livery, if it was a race car. Yeah, which is actually his team. His team's called Team War Paint, and uh, that's what he races under. And the boat did really, really well for that. I think it's the third time out. So he did real well. He came in fourth. There was five or six boats in his class. Steel boat, our friend J.R. Noble, actually won. And what was real interesting, I was watching the race. I was out on the pier. And for some strange reason, that boat just ran off and hid and left everybody. So congratulations to J.R. Noble. Matter of fact, we're going to do a post-race show. I've got some interviews and some stuff that I'm putting together for that particular show edition. And uh, so that should be a pretty good show. But And uh, also our friends Scotty Begovich and uh, Mark Granite were racing the uh, driving the uh, Geico Superboat. And unfortunately, they started off real good. The only other boat in their class in Super Unlimited was the Qatar boat, which was actually running turbines. And up until last year or two, the Geico boat always ran turbines. But this year, they had two special-built Mercury Marine engines that were, I believe, 1,650 or 1,750 horsepower versus 1,850 in the turbines. But the boat's a very unique boat. And again, a lot of it, you know, a couple hundred horsepower each motor. So let's say 400 horsepower may make a difference. But nonetheless, you know, a lot of it has to do with how you drive the boat. You know, so you got real sophisticated equipment on that boat. You've got a very talented throttle man. You got a very, very, very clever driver. You know, basically the guy that handles the steering wheel. So at any rate, for the first lap, I think the Geico boat was out front, which is what it looked like to me. The guitar boat kind of got close where they actually bumped, okay? And uh, we saw a video because he had a little GoPro on the back of his boat, and obviously he has a GoPro on the front of the boat. So what happened was in the first turn when he was coming around the corner, the guitar boat kind of turned in just a little too much, kind of got out of shape a little bit, lost his line, and then tapped the back end of the Geico boat. The second lap around, they were doing pretty good. The guitar boat kind of passed him. They were having some mechanical difficulties. And then on the third lap, for some reason, and it's kind of hard to explain, but, you know, a, a boat can... Uh, if you if you watch a boat, you know where the 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 back of the boat sometimes because of uh, overlapping waves they can get air and they can wash out and suddenly the boat loses traction and when a boat loses traction, believe it or not, that's what they call it. Okay, uh, the props just basically push air, cavitate real bad. No water. There's no thrust. There's no forward movement. There's no nothing. And the boat actually lost control and spun around. And it was really interesting to watch it in the video how the boat literally flew around. But what happened was is the rear deck of the boat, the transfer of the boat, went underwater. It's got two huge exhaust pipes in the back. Okay. 
and they sucked all the water in. But anyway, so water just went right in and washed the engine out. At that point, it almost, you have to kill the engines, otherwise it'll hydraulic. But they were stuck, they were stranded, there was nothing they could do because that was the end of the race for them. So the Qatar boat, which was driven by Sheikh Hassan, uh, actually had no competition, so basically he cleaned house. And what was interesting is after the uh, after the race, the award ceremonies uh, that were taking place downtown in Clearwater here, Pretty much, uh, they were kind of going at it in a, in a friendly, competitive, spirited way. But the gauntlet was drawn. Lines were drawn in the sand. And basically, it's all-out war uh, come three weeks when the World Championship takes place in Key West. So the Geico boat and the Qatar boat will definitely be the two most watched competitors. As far as the rest of the boats go, I think J.R. Noble and his boat, the steel boat, clinched his championship because he was so far out in front. You know, a lot of it, you know, people are trying to figure out, well, why was his boat so much faster? I mean, he literally lapped the guys. Well, a lot of it has to do with prop setup. On Saturday, when everybody was out there doing, let's say, like testing and tuning, the water was a little bit rough. So a lot of the guys were thinking, well, you know, Sunday might be a little bit rough, too, because when the first batch of boats went out in the Superstock class, the water was just a little on the choppy side. But for some strange reason, a little bit later in the afternoon when the bigger boats were going out there, the water was extremely calm. Well, I guess JR made a really good selection on props. So he selected basically a, let's call it a flat water prop. Versus the other guys were kind of set up more for a chop water. And uh, he just literally just flew out and just just lapped everybody. You know, props are like gears, like a rear-end ratio, okay? When you change the props, you know, you're going to get mile an hour. And that's what he was after. He got the mile an hour he wanted. He passed everybody and blew through the traps and uh, won the race, won his class. Hey, what do we got spinning around in that turntable? We got anything good tonight? Uh, this is a song that I'm not too familiar with. I'm familiar with the band Free, uh, but I've not heard this song Wishing Well. I might recognize it. Okay, this was a cool song. This was actually done by Paul Rogers and Free back in the late 60s. And then, of course, he played it when he was with Bad Company. So in honor of Bad Company coming to Pinellas Park in, I guess, less than a month. Yep. Here we go. Bad Company Wishing Well. This is really a cool song. Hope you guys enjoy it. We'll be right back to tune into Nostalgic Radio on Cars.
Pizza Shop, located at 1200 8th Avenue Southwest in Largo, offers a great selection of personalized pizzas, pastas, and calzones, as well as delicious wings, subs, salads, and tasty desserts. Enjoy the relaxing atmosphere and scenic view overlooking Pinecrest Golf Course. Remember, for the finest pizza anywhere, takeout, delivery, or catering, call 581-1101. That's 581-1101. Or order online at yourpizzashop.com. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. This is Danny the Count Coker from Counting Cars out here in Las Vegas, and I love listening to nostalgic radio and cars, and you better listen to them, too. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, we got so much stuff going on. Hey, let me tell you about this weekend. Sunday, Webster Swap Meet. Okay, don't forget that. Next weekend, Street Rod Nationals at Tampa Fairgrounds. Okay, that should be a lot of fun, okay? On the uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th, the Mirror Lake Classic in downtown Lakeland, Super Car Show, Super Concourse, and an auction, okay? And don't forget, also that same uh, weekend, actually the weekend before that, here next weekend, I guess, is Larry the Cable Guy. We'll be at Ruth Eckert Hall. So, uh, hey, we're going to go to a commercial break here in a second, and then we're going to come back with our interview with our guest. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my good friend, William Helfrich. He's a lawyer, and a darn good one at that. He specializes in medical malpractice, social security issues, and probate. His credentials are exceptional. He is a former JAG, yes, a military lawyer, sworn to uphold the law to the highest ethical standards. For over 20 years, he was an attorney for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Give Bill a call at 727-831-5312. That's 727-831-5312. Let William Helfrich help you make informed legal choices. Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to my favorite, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. You tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special and truly special guest for the evening. This gentleman really needs no introduction, but let me just tell you, he's a well-known entertainer. He's a well-known local entrepreneur and hometown favorite. He's also been in the WWE Hall of Fame a number of times. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening the one, the only, the greatest world wrestler, Hulk Hogan. Hulk, are you there? Hey, I'm a car guy too, brother. Come on. Yeah, great to be here. Oh, yeah, that's right. A big car guy. So, uh... Well, anyway, hey, tell us a little bit about your background. We know you're from Tampa. We know you live in Clearwater, and you're a local proponent of everything that goes on in Clearwater. And we just saw you here the, over the weekend at the uh, Clearwater Superboat Races, and uh, which was a lot of fun, by the way. And um, so, anyway, give us a little background on yourself. Well, I grew up in uh, South Tampa over where uh, McDillon Gandy intersect. I grew up on a street back there, Paul Avenue. Um, went to Monroe Junior High, Robinson High School, and University of South Florida. So I've been here all my life. And... Uh, about 1976, I got in the wrestling business, and uh, you know I've lived everywhere. You know, lived in uh, Atlanta, and New York, and uh, Connecticut, and Los Angeles, and lived in Japan, and always came home. 
So, you know, basically, uh, no matter where I wrestled or whatever I did, the only reason I was basically away from home in the early days and moved away was because to keep my job. But as soon as I got a little bit of stroke in the wrestling business, you know, whenever I would have a day off, I would I would come back, and I've always called the Tampa Bay area my home. So, you know, it's 60 years young. Um, I'm home to stay, and, and I'm not going anywhere. So that's why you see me all around town, and that's why I've opened up the Hogan's Beach restaurant and the Hogan's Beach shop and, you know, any of the functions like the uh, superboat races or anything I can stick my nose in. I love getting involved because I am the local yokel now. Well, that's uh, and a super spokesperson, I might add, at that. Um, speaking of the superboat races, now you're also a big offshore boat guy kind of guy, too. I mean, you actually did, I think there was a TV show at one point in time. Was it Thunder in Paradise? Was back in the 80s, 90s? Right. Yeah, yeah, that was the early 90s. Um, you know, probably for, I'm not the, the super powerboat racer guy, but, you know, for the last 25 years, I've always had a, a little go-fast boat. Usually I stick to the V-Hull and fell in love with the old Wellcraft scale. Arab. You know, it's, it's set the, uh, the the record, the speed record, many many years ago, and I kind of stuck with that hole because it's really safe. It digs in and it's really heavy, so you can put too much power behind the boat, and you can pretty much know that you're going to have a nice day, no matter if you make a wrong turn or you read the water wrong. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I love watching the boat racing. These guys that were out there this weekend are are daredevils to me. I would not even. Uh, attempt to say I was in their league. I mean, I even had the uh, the Geico boat offer to take me out Friday, and they were going to try to hit a buck 70, a buck 80. The water was so nice, and I took one look at the cockpit, saw that I would be enclosed, saw the harnesses, saw the helmet, saw, saw the oxygen, and I went, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> It'd be a nice ride for someone else, but not me. I'm just a little paranoid about going that fast on the water, so I'm, I'm kind of like the, the stock guy that'll go out on the weekends and tear it up every once in a while if I'm a couple miles offshore. Well, now, but you have, I think, uh, you've always kind of had like around 38-footers, right? With, uh, you know... Yeah, pretty much. Okay, like a 1,000 horsepower, something like that, between the paramotors? Yeah, I just took an old... Uh, 97 hull, which I found it was in perfect shape, and I just stuck two of the big Viper motors in it. And, um, you know, I also have a small deck boat for my wife and the four Chihuahuas, but whenever I go out in the, the, the Scarab with the Viper motors running open headers, it has to be a guy's day out on the water because after about 30 minutes, you know, your brain's turned to scrambled eggs that thing's so loud. Plus, it's, it doesn't want to go slow. It wants to go fast. So I still have one of those old boats, but I, I went through it and everything from the front to the back of the boat is brand new. But uh, it gets put in the water every couple of weeks. Okay. When you say Viper motors, am I correct in assuming those are 10-cylinder Viper engines? Right. There's a company called Ilmore. Okay. It makes yeah. a, marine, a marine Viper motor. Um, and uh, self-contained, you know, it has its own uh, cooling system, and it's, it's about the most dependable thing out there. Plus, it's it's got a lot of torque and, and pushes the boat through the water really fast. So I get two of the big 650s in the boat, and uh, it, it runs pretty good for, for a little stock boat. Well, enough to have a lot of fun, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, let's go back to the days when you were a Wonder Bread kid. So you were at Robinson. You went to Robinson High, and uh, were you in the sports when you were younger? No, I played. I played in the band. I played okay. rock and roll music. I tried to play football in junior high, and uh, then in high school, I played one year of football. I hurt my knee, and back then, a hundred years ago, when I was in high school, they didn't have the uh, the technology to fix knees and and do what they do nowadays. So pretty much, you know, the doctors looked at my knee and said, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with you," but I couldn't even bend it. It was so swollen, and, and every time I. You know, even drop down to a knee, just like in the kitchen, you know, uh, 
to play with my talk. My knee would just swell up. So there was definitely an issue. Um, didn't have it fixed for many years later. But uh, I was I was the Wonder Bread kid. <laughs> I was fat, and, and I played Little League Baseball, and if I didn't hit a home run, I'd get thrown out at second base. So, I mean, you know, I had a, I had a weight problem growing up and, uh, you know, didn't play sports. Just the football was the only thing and played baseball. But uh, we broke my arm playing baseball, and so my arm was never the same. So I kind of, like, gravitated towards music because uh, – you know, I was in high school and, and making three or four hundred dollars on the weekend, which nowadays would be like making three or four grand on the weekend. So, you know, I was uh, all into playing music and having the new car in high school and, and doing that thing. But I, I missed out on those sports, sporting days. Well, let me ask you this now. You, you, what, what got you interested in music? Now, you were basically you picked up the guitar and you played bass, correct? I started out playing guitar. My parents gave me music lessons since okay. I was 10 years old. And I thought I was a pretty good guitar player until I ran into a guy named David White. And uh, he was he was over on Davis Island. His mother was a music teacher. So I kind of got kicked to the curb, you know, into the backseat as the bass player, which, you know, after playing for about eight or nine years, I got pretty good at it. But it was it wasn't a humbling experience. It was just a a graceful transition because David was such a better guitar player than I was that, you know, for me to stand my ground or whatever, I would have embarrassed myself. But, you know, when he came along and I, and I saw what a real studio musician played like, um, I, I, you know, gracefully took the back seat and started playing bass, which became a really, really important part of everything we did musically. So it really wasn't a back seat. It was just my perception. Okay. And the band at the time, I know later was called Ruckus, right? Yeah, that was the last one. I mean, there were several other bands, um, Coco, and gosh, I can't even think there have been so many. But uh, uh, yeah, that was the last one, to the best of my recollection. Man, you got a better memory than I do. Well, now, wait a minute, because I remember seeing you at Charlie's Place on Clearwater Beach, and don't you remember, you remember Wimpy's that was on on 60? You used yeah, to play yeah, there, too. Yeah, I remember all those days. I remember Charlie's Place and Wimpy's. I remember all those. Okay, they were cool. Did you ever play at the Beach Bar? I don't think. Well, they didn't really have a band down there, though. But I know Charlie's definitely did. Which, which Beach Bar are we talking about? On Clearwater Beach on on Mandalay Avenue, I think there was a Beach Bar. But I don't, I don't know if you guys played there or not because they they had a pretty small place there. But once in a while, bands would show up there. Well, Frenchie's Rockaway Grill used to be a, a rock and roll club. Right, that was there. Yeah, that was Charlie's. Okay. All right. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's kind of the stuff I want to kind of cover. You know, you being a local hometown guy, you know, and I want to hit all the places because a lot of the listeners obviously are local. And a lot of my listeners, the average age is 45 to 75. So these guys are, you know, and I'm somewhere in the middle there, you know, I'm a few years younger than you. But uh, so we're, uh, you know, we all kind of hung out the same uh, venues back in the day, which was pretty cool back then, actually. Yeah, there were a lot of places on the north side of town, the other place, and Shenanigans Pub, and just, my gosh, I can't remember, there. so many out by the University of South Florida that always had good rock and roll music, so I, I played from one end of town to the other, and all the way up, up the east coast of Atlanta, and all the way up to North Carolina and back, so it was, uh, it was a full-time job for us for quite a while. Well, somewhere I was reading that you uh, you were a, like a Sessions uh, musician there in Atlanta for, um, for a record company. Century yeah, Artists uh, or something like that? Yeah, Century Artist up there in Atlanta. I worked up there for about three years doing all kind of session work and finally learned how to read music and, you know, got pretty good at doing that and, uh, you know, made some money doing it for a while. 
but was Miss Florida, just me and Miss being home and Atlanta wasn't for me. So once again, I turned tail and ran home. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, you go back to your roots, so to speak. Well, now, wait a minute. Somewhere I was reading, you're actually born in Georgia, right? Yeah, I was born in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, I was two, two or three months old. My parents uh, moved down here, so... I uh, don't remember anything about Georgia, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, now, let me ask you a question. Now, you played bass guitar. Did you ever have any aspirations of playing other instruments, like drums or anything like that, or piano, or you just like the bass? No, I sure, I sure didn't. I, I had a great time playing bass, and uh, uh, the last couple bands I was in, we had the guys were musicians were so good. It was just fun to be in the bands with these guys that were actually better musicians than I was. So it was, it was fun just uh, being on the team. Now, you said back in the day when you were in high school, you were making a couple, two, three hundred dollars a week, and you had cars and stuff like that. What kind of cars did you have back in the day? Well, actually, I had two cars. I okay. was trying to be humble. Okay, that's I fine. I had two, two cars when I was a uh, senior in high school at Robinson. I had a uh, 269 Roadrunners. Oh, really? And uh, the one was an automatic with air conditioning. It was in bucket seats and a console. It was kind of like a date car if I was to ever have a date. And uh, the other one was a bench seat with a four-speed. And uh, they're both new cars, so I was kind of proud of the, the Mopar collection I had back then. Well, that uh, that explains the Viper motors. And then I think later, I think somewhere I read you bought a you – know, well, in fact, I saw it. You had an orange 69 or 70 Charger at one point in time. You used to run around Clearwater. I still do. Yeah, I still do. I, I took an old uh, 68 Charger and from the ground up restored it through Metal Crafters in L.A. And they, they do all the prototypes for uh, Chrysler when Iacocca was uh, the man. And uh, I got the car back then and sent it out to Metal Crafters, and it would, they restored it from the ground up. I mean, if you look down the side of the car, the gaps in the doors and the hood and the trunk, and if you look down the side of the car, the quarter panels, everything is perfectly straight on the car. And, uh, and then I took an old crate motor, 528 Hemi, and poured it and polished it, put a set of headers on it, changed the carburation on it, and put that in the the, the uh, 68 Charger, and it, it's a screamer. It's a lot of fun to drive around. Built the transmission, too. It was an automatic transmission. Had it built, so it's, uh, it's just fun to drive. So you're definitely a, a Mopar guy through and through, huh? Yeah, no doubt. I've got a new Dodge Charger, and over at uh, Chapman's Place there, DuPont, I've still got a a Viper there, and I've got a couple out in California, so, you know, I'm a Mopar guy. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Somewhere I read you had a 57 Chevy, too. Is that true? I did. You did. But uh, that disappeared somewhere in the divorce, so I, oh. I don't know what happened to that. Okay. <laughs> all right. With about everything, with about everything else. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So now the musician thing's going on. When did uh, you decide to make the transition into wrestling, and, and how did that come about? It. Tell us the story. Well, I was I was a huge wrestling fan ever since I was good grief six or seven years old. My dad would take me down to the armory there um, in Tampa, and uh, I saw the Howard Avenue, the, the Fort Homer Hesley Armory, right. And uh, we would go down there and, and watch the matches. So I was instantly hooked. But you know, back then, you know, if you looked at a wrestler or talked to him, you know, they would the mystique was they would kill you, you know, and how don't even think about. Calling wrestling fake or anything like that because they break in half. So I was conditioned to be scared to death of the wrestlers. And so when, when I got in high school, you know, we used to have like a uh, study hall and then a shop class and then another study hall if you had enough credits. And that was like half the day. And so we'd blow out, you know, on a Tuesday, like at one o'clock and run down to the Sportatorium, which was on Albany Avenue, where they would uh, film the TV. And we'd stand there, you know, and watch the, the, the film, the TV matches. So I was going down to the Army on Tuesday night and Tuesday afternoon to see the TVs. No, no, it was Wednesday. 
Tuesday night was the Armory, and then Wednesday was the Sportatorium for the TV filming. So I was going down there twice a week watching it live. Then I was always looking for Dusty Roads on TV on the weekend, so I, I was hooked early. I kept hanging around, and I kept hanging around, and I guess I kind of drove the wrestlers crazy. And I started working out, and I'd roll my sleeves all the way up like I had a pump on or something. I guess I just kept <laughs> hanging around, hanging around, until they finally gave me a chance. And uh, they got me in the ring the first day and broke my leg. And, really? Uh, yeah, here on Matsuda got me in the ring and broke my leg. And, you know, they just didn't have time to put up with clowns or people that everybody wanted to be a wrestler, you know. So they were very protective of the business in the 70s. So it's not like getting a pair of wrestling boots now from Santa Claus and going to wrestling school like nowadays. Back then, if you wanted to be a wrestler, there were five or six guys in the dressing room and you had to take somebody's livelihood, you know, one of the guys in the dressing room to get in. So they weren't welcoming with open arms people that would run their mouth and say, oh, I want to be a wrestler just like these guys, you know. And I guess I was one of those guys that was running my mouth and got my leg broken the first day, and, and it pretty much uh, changed my whole attitude about things. And I just made a decision from that point forward, no one was ever going to hurt me again. So I regrouped, got the leg better, and I went back. How did he break your leg? What, did he put you in a hold or something, or what happened? Yeah, he sat, you know, I got him here on that suit. I got real tired from exercising. Mm -hmm. They exercised until I was about to faint. And if you could imagine him sitting in front of me, like if we were on a bobsled. Yeah. He, he was sitting in front of me with his, his back to my chest and the back of his head to, to my face. And he put his elbow in the middle of my shin and grabbed my toe and pulled my foot back and broke, broke my shin bone. Oh, that had to hurt. It did. Oh, <laughs> it man, did. the shit. It oh. It, it, it hurt real bad. And so, uh, well, it took about four months before I was good enough to go back down there. But then I had a little different attitude. So Let me know. let me draw an analogy here. I'm just curious because you mentioned something about boots from Santa Claus and going to wrestling school. It's kind of like the a lot of the guys, the race car guys, the drivers, the Parnelli Joneses, the Dan Gurneys, the Carol Shelbys, the Sterling Mosses that I've had on my radio show in the past, they all basically came up through the ranks. I mean, started out driving Mario Andretti, started driving jalopies and worked their way up until they finally got really, really good, competitive, and got into you know professional racing with cars. So if I get if I understand you correctly, and the, and by today's standards, the drivers are groomed. They start them out, you know, mom and dad start them out in a little go kart, and then they go into maybe a sprint car, and then they maybe go into a late model car, and then the next thing you know, they're sitting on a NASCAR circuit or a, you know IndyCar circuit or something like that. So. Would it be fair to, if if I understand you correctly, that that's almost how wrestlers are today? They're actually literally groomed to be wrestlers? Um, I mean, if you're talking wrestling school, you know. Well, the, the thing is that the business is different. Before, you know, you had to work your way up to the ranks. There were, okay. there were different territories, like Florida Championship Wrestling was one area. And then there was Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then there was a wrestling federation in the Carolinas. There was one in Oklahoma, Bill Watts. There was one in California, Mike LaBelle. There was one in Minnesota called Vern Gagne's AWA. Um, New York had one uh, called the WWWF with Vince McMahon Sr. So there were all these individual territories were like a bunch of Walmarts where you could go work at each one, you know, and you could wrestle in Florida for a while. And then you'd see Ivan Koloff in Florida. Or you'd see Ivan Putsky. They'd be here five or six weeks and then they'd leave. Well, they'd go to another territory and wrestle. And that's how you learn the business, by traveling around to all these different areas and wrestling. And someday, after three years, five years, ten years, you got to be good enough, like a Dusty Rhodes who came to Florida just to wrestle five weeks. And the fans liked him so much, he ended up doing his whole career here. And that's pretty much uh, what the business used to be like. 
And then a guy named Hulk Hogan came along. And as I was traveling around all these territories, you know, wrestling in Florida, wrestling in Alabama, wrestling in Memphis, wrestled in New York for Vince Sr. and got fired, went to Japan, and then I went to the Minnesota, and I was on my eighth or ninth little territory. I got so good at what I was doing, I went back to work in New York with Vince McMahon, and we decided to change the game. Instead of having all these different race car associations, we just had one. You know, we okay. just, instead of all these different wrestling federations, we're just going to take over everything. And we kind of like strong-armed the wrestling business and turned it into one big monster. So nowadays, there's not that cookie-cutter uh, equation for guys to pack up their car, leave home, say goodbye to their wife and their kids or their girlfriend or their parents, and just disappear for five or six years. You know, there's, there's, there aren't those places. So now, like, the WWE has a big state-of-the-art performance center over in Orlando where if you want to be a wrestler, I'm sure you go there and try out. And then if you make the tryout, you probably have to pay a whole lot of money to have them teach you. And I don't know that for sure, but that's just my guess because I'm not familiar with what their facility does. But, yeah, that the old-school way of getting into the wrestling business is pretty much the same as the, the racing business you're talking about. It's pretty much the art form is pretty much gone. Okay. You know? Is wrestling, well, just to digress for a second, you mentioned all the places you traveled. I'm from California, originally from Marin County, and we used to go to the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Did you ever wrestle there? Yeah. Many, many times. Many, many, many times in the Cow Palace. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then, you, then you must have seen Pat Patterson and the yep. Samoans and oh, my Ray Stevens and all those guys up there. Yeah, I remember some of those guys, yeah. Um, there you go. When you, well, I was in Florida in 71, so really back then, how could anybody forget, and you mentioned him, and i got to ask him if he's one of your idols, too, is the Dusty Rhodes Ugly Elbow. Remember that? He's gonna yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he was one of the reasons when I was a kid. If he wasn't on TV, I would get really mad, you know, because we'd stay home on Saturdays to watch wrestling, and for some reason he wasn't on TV, we'd be very upset. He was, he was the main guy for a long time. He was super. And then, of course, the Briscoe brothers race, wrestled back then. And then uh, Graham, uh, Graham brothers and, and, and that family. Those are the ones that were pretty much that I remember locally here in Tampa, right? Yeah, that's the history package of Tampa for sure. <laughs> okay. So then, but one thing I have to say is like what you did almost single-handedly, and I was reading up on it and somewhere I was listening to a, an audio tape, is when, when your opportunity came along to do the movie Rocky Three, and you were cast as Thunderlips. You know, so go ahead and tell us that story a little bit because that's kind of interesting. Because you put a new slant on the perception of wrestlers at that point in time. Well, back then, uh, it was in seventy. Uh, I didn't film the movie in seventy nine or eighty. I can't remember. But back then, the, the the mentality was pretty barbaric. And if you were a wrestler, that's all you did. And if someone said wrestling was fake, you'd either punch them in the face or break their arm. There were no lawsuits or camera phones or anything like that back in the day. And so if you were a wrestler, you didn't do crossover media. You weren't, if you were a wrestler, you weren't an actor and you weren't, you know, didn't have a radio show on the side if you were a wrestler, like so many of them do now. But back then, if you were a wrestler, that's all you did. And I got a call from Stallone to be in the Rocky movie and uh, told Vince McMahon Sr. I wanted to do it. And he had other plans for me. He was going to send me down to the Carolinas to wrestle in a territory where Ric Flair and Rick Steamboat and a bunch of guys were for a guy named Crockett. And I said, no, I want to do the movie. So 
So, you know, there was an ultimatum. If you do the movie, you're fired. You'll never work here again. So I went and did the movie. And uh, it pretty much changed the perception of what a wrestler looked like because Rocky was a million feet tall in the American public's eyes. And then Thunderlips, the character I played, stood next to him in the ring and it made the whole world go, oh my God, is that what a wrestler looks like? So it really was a good shot in the arm for the wrestling business. You looked terribly menacing next to uh, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, he looked almost like a midget next to you. (laughs) I remember the movie when it came out. I thought, wow, this guy's in trouble now. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. He was was in great shape, but he was a lot smaller than I was, that's for sure. Now, the as far as the um, but but like I said, you know, from from that point on, you know, it's like people. And what's really, what's really interesting is you had a lot of wrestlers were huge. Now you were what six seven at that time? Is that your your actual height back in those days? Yeah, I was around six seven, three hundred pounds or plus. Okay, all the time. And then it seemed like the you know because when I remember watching wrestling, you know, like you know, in the days you know with Dusty Rose and all those guys and Patterson and everybody, you know, they were maybe you know six feet, six one, six two, you know, not fit necessarily. Some of them were just you know they weren't really, let's just say, cut. You know, then suddenly you see Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips, and next thing you know, you see like the Lex Luger's and the Zeus's and all the other guys, and you guys are just menacing. You're fit. You're built. You're tight. You you know, and it just it was a different per- per- perception back in the day. And well, the wrestlers, yeah, the wrestlers started training with weights, and before all you needed was big arms and a big beer belly to be a wrestler, you know. And then a couple of us came along and that had been trained with weights and changed the, the image or the look of what a wrestler should be. So they kind of just, you know, took off from that point. You know, we did, instead of just training arms, we actually did sit ups and trained our legs too. So, you know, it was just an overall package look that was adapted during the 80s and 90s. Andre the Giant. You wrestled him a number of times. What kind of a guy was he like? He's a good guy. I mean, if he would have been a, a nasty individual, I don't think there would have been any of us around. He was, thank God, he was a good person. Was he really, really, was he a real challenge? I mean, was he big? Yeah, he was 7'4", money in his prime, and he always weighed between five and 700 pounds, depending on what he ate or how healthy or unhealthy he was. And uh, if he didn't want to be moved, he was not going to move, so... It was best off, you know, that you had a couple of drinks with him before you got in the ring to get him in a good mood. Wrestling, okay? Now, you mentioned something earlier, you know, you said that, well, you know, if somebody called it fake or whatever, and I heard you quote it, which is probably more realistic, it's entertainment, true? Yeah, it's an exhibition. Okay. And as far as the the titles and stuff like that, is any of that stuff, I mean, is it predetermined, or do you guys bid on it, or is it actually just happen? I mean, how does it... And, and, I mean, if you want to talk about it, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. You know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But just, you know, kind of in general, you know, because, you know, it, it's it's it almost is like you said, it's entertainment. And, uh, you know, everybody has their favorites that they root for. So kind of share a little bit of that with us. Well, it's a little too late to let the cat out of the bag. Okay. <laughs> I guess. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's predetermined. We know who's going to win or lose. Okay. Usually the promoter, you know, decides who he wants to win or lose or there's a storyline now with these shows that are on TV. You know, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And there's there's an arc, of course, you know, where the bad guy gets all of his aggression out, and there's a fever pitch where the fans want to see the good guy make a comeback. And, but, I mean, it's it's a, a situation where the ending is predetermined, and uh, the phys- physicality is real. I mean, you know, whether these guys go out and know the art form and wrestle with their heart and their instinct and listening to the crowd, or whether they talk in the back for 10 hours about a two-minute match, still the physicality out there is real, and 
I have never met anybody that walked in the ring and came out the same way without getting hurt. So, I mean, you know, the injuries are real and there's a lot of injuries. And so the word fake doesn't really work because it was fake. I wouldn't have had nine back surgeries and two hip replacements and two knee replacements. So, you know, if you want to say it's predetermined, you know, that works for me. But, you know, the word fake is just a word that uh, really doesn't describe what it is. Well, no, but I, and, and, and I agree with that, and that's why I didn't say that. But uh, let's put a positive spin on it. Like you said, you said a storyline. So in other words, it's like you almost have to follow these characters. It's almost like, a, I don't want to say a soap opera, but almost like a, 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 a series, like a TV series. And everybody's just like you have a good guy, and you have an antagonist and a protagonist, and you go back and forth, and uh, you just continue on. And then you bring new characters in, and, and that's the entertainment aspect of it. And it works. It seems to work well because you've got a tremendous following. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what keeps, you know, the, the, the people tuning in from week to week. It is almost like watching a soap opera. You know, there is a storyline of a good guy versus bad guy, and it's just pretty much laid out from week to week. And if you miss a week, you know, you're kind of out of the loop. So you're you're almost right on the money. It is a storyline kind of soap operas, but it's, it's mainly storytelling instead of a soap opera. They'll tell a story of, you know, the righteous good guy and the bad guy who takes the shortcuts. And it's, you know, it's pretty much a play on life. Mm-hmm. Now, you were telling me earlier, too, once before when we had another interview, um, and you're talking about, you referenced this a few minutes ago about, you know, pain and fighting, and it's kind of like you really get in there and you're, there's a lot of physicality. You were telling me that when you were in Japan and you were wrestling over there, that they were pretty hard on you guys over there. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause you well, had some... it's, still a different mi- it's still a different mindset over there. The Japanese wrestling is, you don't tear your shirt off when you get in the ring and cup your ear to the crowd for approval. I mean, the Japanese wrestling is pretty much the way it used to be 30 or 40 years ago. It's pretty much um, up to you to make yourself look good in there. It's pretty much up to you to, you know, be the aggressor. And so a lot of the American guys go over there and they're not really ready for for what they're getting into. And uh, I remember Jesse Ventura was, you know, just starting to become a main event guy. And I think he had one or two main events in Minnesota when I was there. He was going over to Japan for eight or ten weeks and he went one day and came right back. So, I mean, if, you, if you're not ready for, for what's going on over there, it can be quite a curveball if you're not conditioned and ready for it. Who are some of the guys that you like wrestling with in terms of your, your tag teams, you know, some of your buddies? Well, Macho was the best, you know, because he lived the gimmick 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a bunch of good ones. Roddy Piper was awesome. Andre, of course. Um, there's a lot of guys that are real pros. I could go on and on. Besides Dusty Rose, who were some of the other guys that you really that were real inspirational to you back in the day? Well, they had the big cat Ernie Ladd that came through Florida. See, I grew up on Florida wrestling, so all the guys, I had no idea there was anything else out there or any other company. And uh, a guy named Superstar Billy Graham came in here. He was a big influence. And um, Ivan Koloff, uh, the Russian bear, he came in here and he scared me to death. But uh, I think Andre the Giant was the one that pretty much influenced me the most. What do you think um, has, I mean, because you, you've been in this for a long time, probably, well, since the late 70s, and now here we are, 2000, 2013. I mean, your popularity has just lasted immensely, and you are still truly loved by a lot of your fans. I mean, you've been able to maintain your popularity for so long, and a, and a really cool image. I mean, you're just a cool guy. I mean, what do you think attributes to that? Uh, well, one of the things you said, longevity, number one. You know, the other thing is the fans are, are so loyal. Um, it's just amazing once they have watched you for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, or 35 years, they become loyal to you, and through thick or thin, through 
business ups and downs or personal ups and downs. Those fans are always there sometimes and nobody else is. And, you know, they realize that you're consistent and, you know, you're pretty much who you say you are. And if you make mistakes and you're accountable, they appreciate it. So, I mean, it, it goes both ways. You know, you have to have respect for the fans and and then you gain the respect from them. But it's, uh, I think the point now is I've just been around so long, they either completely respect me or feel sorry for me, one or the other. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I bumped in you at uh, Target. I bumped into you at the post office, uh, restaurants here and there. I mean, you know, you're just a local guy. You shake hands with everybody. You sign autographs. You you take pictures. I mean, you just really, you know, you're just a nice guy, you know. And I think uh, a lot of that has to do with it too, because you just, you know, you're uh, you're here. You're real and accessible, you know. Well, there's a lot of nice people out there. You know, I had someone say to me yesterday, "Oh my God, don't you ever get tired of it?" And you know, we were at the mall trying to find something for my daughter, you know, for this uh, wedding that's going to be coming up here in a few months. So we were kind of at the mall trying to find some special stuff, which is all the same old stuff over and over again. And I guess uh, an older couple had watched me for about 20 minutes and they said, oh my gosh, in the last 20 minutes, you've had about 50 or 60 people come up to you. Don't you ever get tired of it? And I said, well, I don't get tired of it. I'm just to the point where I'm, I'm grateful that it's still happening, you know, because after all these years, it could have went the other way, but the fans are so loyal, they're still excited to see me. So I'm just thankful it's still happening. Wow, that's great. Now, you're also an entrepreneur. You opened up here last year, if I remember correctly, I think uh, about the summertime, you opened up uh, Hogan's Beach Shop. And then shortly thereafter, you've got Hogan's Beach Bar, which is over off uh, Rock point right yeah well the hogan's uh, beach was open on new year's okay and we didn't, ex- didn't expect three thousand people to show up on new year's eve but we had a, a great crowd we were about 500 people and we got blown away everybody was so cool that came out and they put up with us being slow and not being ready so it was it was a humbling experience to have that many people come out and you're right yeah last summer uh, on the 26th we opened up the uh, october 26th we opened up the uh, the beach shop so you know things are going good and Keeping our fingers crossed that, you know, the people enjoy the, the restaurant, enjoy the beach shop over here, and then the people keep coming back. What's in the future for Hulk Hogan? Uh, well, I can tell you what's in the near future. I'm looking at my wife right now. She's ready to go to the grocery store. That's okay. My <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But, but I, I'm not sure. I'll probably be involved with wrestling one way or the other. You know, um, right now I'm kind of like in a holding pattern and uh, trying to figure out, you know, if I do want to keep, you know, moving forward with the wrestling business. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going between the restaurants and the beach shop and got involved with a hosting company called Hostamania, which is kind of like a, a GoDaddy.com company. So I'm, i got a full plate and staying really busy. Well, that's a good, that's great. That's great. I, I really appreciate the entrepreneurial side of you, too, you know, because a lot of people, you know, they, they get into sports or they get into entertainment and then that's all they know. They don't they don't have any other capabilities. You know, they can't take it any further. Let me ask you this. Had Hulk Hogan not, let's say, pursued music or wrestling, what other interests, where do you think you would have gone? If you had to look back and say, well, if I didn't do music and if I didn't wrestle, what would be your other career choice? I'm just curious. That's a tough one. You know, my dad uh, was a pipe fitter and he was way into construction i always had an interest in the big heavy equipment and the earth moving stuff and my dad used to put in storm drainers like a university mall and all in north tampa and i used to just be amazed at how they would move the earth to get all this, these huge pipes and stuff in the ground i mean and the trigonometry with bending the pipes and the welds and all the stuff that a lot of people don't understand it's kind of amazing you know you had to be almost a, a math genius to figure out how to make all this pipe fit and bend and, and do what I saw being done. So I was really interested in construction, but, you know, 
um, the heavy equipment type, not the, the building of homes and stuff like that. But I, I, that's a good question. I've really never thought it through. Well, you, you, yeah, you ref, you're talking about site contracting, basically, is kind of what, uh, you know, where you exactly. put in, you pull utilities and stuff like that. That's now that's interesting. That's uh, I've often wondered that, you know, and, of course, you know, you look at people and you go, because I've asked myself that question. If I didn't do what I was doing, you know, automotive or real estate or whatever related, what what, what else would I do? But uh, anyway, well, hey, Hulk, what uh, if you had to uh, share a few words of wisdom, what would be uh, something you would uh, want your listeners and your fans to know? heavy on this one but i better not go there um, <laughs> no you just need to realize to you know you got a choice between right or wrong right or left for everything for you know it's it's almost like cause and effect for every action is reaction so some people make a bunch of mistakes like i did and you get tired of getting beat up and then you start making the right choices you know and i would just my main thing would be for people just to Stay positive, you know, and everything you say and everything you think is like a creation. So if you're going to say something or if you're going to think something, think a positive thought so that you will attract more of the same because, you know, I've been negative or I've tried to get even or I've tried to one-up people. And believe me, it's, it's a hit in this situation. You know, the, the main thing I've learned is, is to be positive and, and treat people how you would like to be treated and uh, just be grateful that, you know, you're breathing and you got another day here because uh, life is good and don't don't forget it, you know, but just uh, keep moving in the right direction. That's pretty much it. Okay. Well said. Now, if people want to find out more about you, I mean, short of Hogan's Beach Shop and Hogan's Beach Bar, they can go to uh, your website, right? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much what, what we got going is wholehogan.com. That handles the beach shop and the and the uh, the restaurant and personal appearances and just the, the normal business stuff that, you know, I'd love to share with people. That'd be the best place to go. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Would you be willing to come on and uh, periodically and let us know what's going on? Yeah, we can keep updating everybody, keep them in the loop. Super, super. Well, I want to thank my special guest, our local hometown boy, local entrepreneur, celebrity, Hulk Hogan, for taking a few minutes and uh, sharing some stories with us here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, Hulk Hogan, I wish you the best of luck. And uh, next time I see you around, I'll say hi. And you do the same, okay, right? All right. Yeah, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, I'll tell you what. That was a great interview with uh, Hulk Hogan, local hometown personality, celebrity, musician, movie star, and most importantly, the world's greatest wrestler. And you know what? Be sure and check out Hogan's Beach Shop down in Clearwater Beach. It's on Mandalay Avenue. Don't forget to check out his Hogan's Beach Bar on Rocky Point. That's uh, just as you make the bend on uh, the causeway heading towards Tampa. But I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and tell your friends to tune in every week for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and entertainment now, I guess. And uh, be sure to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. Everybody stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you at some of the car shows.
Dale's out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dave City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. 